So do dreams have any meaning? So we all have memories. We all have memories of waking up in the middle of the night, scared of a dream. And for most of us, those memories happen that happened as children. Um, as we get older, we seem to be less disturbed by dreams, but they still often bother us. And that's not because our dreams get any less scary as we get older, but simply we tend to take them less seriously as we get older. But dreams tend to appear very, very real while we're experiencing them. And then we wake up and we realize it was just a dream. So we always wonder, is there any value in what we dreamt? Is there any meaning in what we dreamt? Or is it just nonsensical garbage going through our minds? So what does Judaism say about it? And we're particularly going to look at what Kabbalah, what Jewish mysticism says about dreams. Let's start with the Talmud. The Talmud tells us that a person is shown their own thoughts in a dream. So what you dream are things that you thought about during the day, either that day or previous days. It's your own thoughts that, are, that you see in a dream. The Talmud further tells us that the words of dreams, the words of dreams do not, um, do not have, should not be taken or do not have any um, factual meaning. In other words, the Talmud gives an example. If somebody had a dream where their father came to them in their dream and say, I hid money in this and this place, this amount of money, and it belongs to so-and-so, and you go to that place, and indeed you find there is exactly the amount of money that your father said in the dream. Do you then have to give the money to the person whom he said in the dream it belongs to. The Talmud says, no, because words of dreams have no value. And so even though that turned out to be exactly as he said, doesn't matter. The fact that it belongs to so-and-so, if they have no evidence it belongs to them, you don't have to give it to them. Finders, keepers, it's yours. Unless someone can prove that it belongs to them, it's yours to keep. Like if you find any treasure... In the same way, from a halachic perspective, if someone has a dream that they are Jewish, people have told me this has happened to them. Somebody has a dream they didn't know they were Jewish. They had a dream they were Jewish. Or somebody who knew they were Jewish, but had a dream that they are a Kohen. Their father comes to them in a dream and says, you should know you are a Kohen. The dream has no halachic, halachic is Jewish law. It has no legal validity. We pay no attention to it whatsoever. If you have no evidence that you're Jewish or no evidence that you are a Kohen, if you were never told by your father while you were awake, alive, while he was alive that you're a Kohen, or never told by your mother that you're Jewish, the fact that they told you later in a dream is absolutely meaningless. It has no validity whatsoever. So we see, this seems to imply that dreams have no meaning, right? It would appear that dreams have no meaning. However, we do see that dreams have some value in Jewish traditions. 
We are told, the Talmud tells us as well, that if a person makes a vow in a dream, in general, if a person says, I am going to do such and such, I'm going to make a vow, I will do something in, a, in general. You commit to something, um, the Torah says, uh, tells us, You must do exactly as you said. If you ever make a commitment, you must keep your commitments. And that's why we're always very careful when we make a commitment to always say, without a vow. I'm not committing. But whenever, if we make a commitment, you have to keep your commitment. If a person makes a commitment in a dream, they should keep their commitment as well, says the Talmud. There's also a rule that if a person had a disturbing dream, if someone had a very disturbing dream, the Talmud says they should fast and they should um, improve their conduct, change their ways, asking God to take away a dream that something very bad is going to happen to them. Take, to take away that, um, that prediction of the bad thing that's going to happen to them. We also have a special ceremony called a Hatavat Chalom, where you can call three Jews um, and you do this ceremony where you say, where they say, Chalom, Tava, Chalamt, you dreamt a good dream, you tell the contents of your dream, and they interpret it positively when you have a bad dream. So, if we go through these kind of ceremonies, um, then clearly dream has meaning. In fact, we know the Torah tells us that prophecy comes in dreams. Um, we know that God made his covenant with Abraham, the Brit Ben Habtarim, the covenant between the pieces. The covenant that God made with Abraham was in a dream. Perhaps the most famous dreamer in scripture was Joseph, right? Joseph had himself dreams, two dreams. Jacob, we should mention, had a, had a dream with the ladder that we mentioned two weeks ago. Um, Joseph has his dreams. The baker and um, and officer of the drinks had dreams. The um, uh, Pharaoh in next week's reading is going to have a dream. Going to have dreams later. The king Nebuchadnezzar is going to have meaningful dreams that Daniel is going to interpret. Daniel himself is going to have meaningful dreams. So there appears to be that we see throughout Scripture that people do have very meaningful dreams. So we seem to, on the one hand, value dreams. On the other hand, consider them meaningless. So which is it? Are dreams valuable or are dreams meaningless? And perhaps the great sage Shmuel summed it up the best in the Talmud when he said, when I have a bad dream... I say, quoting the verse in Zechariah and Zechariah, that chalomot shav yedaberu, dreams are, speak, meaningless. When I have a good dream, I say, chalomot shav yedaberu, are dreams meaningless? So, depends on the dream. If it's a bad dream, meaningless. Good dream, meaningless? So, which is it? So, without getting into the details of modern psychology, and there has been a lot of recent discussion of what is the meaning of dreams, um, and there's been a lot of studies, a lot of universities today have dream labs to try to understand dreams, 
Freud wrote a book on dreams where he thought it was the central tool of the subconscious. Um, there are many different theories out there by different ne- neuroscientists as to exactly what causes dreams and why we have dreams. Is it us learning, practicing responses to negative situations, sorting through memories, rebuilding the data connections in our minds, um, dealing with difficult emotional content while in a safe place. There's random firings of the brain. There's all different theories out there, and possibly multiple of them can be true, um, as to what causes dreams, why dreams happen, and um, exactly where they're coming from and what their meaning is. But without getting into the, um, all the recent research on dreams, what does Jewish mysticism, what do Jewish traditions say about dreams? So, in Jewish mysticism, we, tell, we say that our mind is split into two parts. We have what we call our intellectual and our analytical mind. The part of the mind that understands and thinks and, and analyzes. And then we have what we could call our imaginative or our experimental mind our mind that comes up with our cre- the creative side of our brains, that imagine things and comes up with new ideas, um, the creative brain. So when we sleep, the first part of our brain shuts down, the intellectual analytical part, while the second part, the creative part, um, the, imaginative, the imaginative part, that it becomes very active. And that's why, on the one hand, dreams can feel so very real, because the part of our brain that experiences things um, is very active. While on the, other, the, on the other hand, they make little sense and are often crazy. It's essentially imagination without any intelligence. Uh, you could call it imagination running wild. The Talmud, though, does say that even when our imagination runs wild, it will all fit within what we normally imagine. So it will, we will never imagine something that, dream something that is totally outrageous. Just like we don't tend to imagine things that are outrageous, the Talmud says you don't dream of a golden palm tree because it's something you never thought of, or nobody thinks of an elephant going through the eye of a needle because it's outrageous. It's something that you don't think about, you've never thought about before, and so it's not something that you ever tried to imagine until this moment when I just said it, and so, you, um, and so you won't dream about it either, unless we just spoke about it this morning, now you could dream about it tonight. So where do dreams come from? What is the source of dreams? Where are they coming from? So, to understand what Kabbalah, or Jewish mysticism, says about dreams, we need to first understand how Kabbalah explains our thoughts and our thought process. So, Kabbalah explains that we often think using words and letters. We don't notice it. Most of the time when we're thinking, we don't pay attention to the fact that we're always thinking in language. Everything that you think is with language. We cannot think without language. We always think in 
um, language. When we're very deep in thought, we're not focused on the words of letters or letters, but we're still thinking of words and letters. If we're really deeply engrossed in thought, we could be thinking of sensations or experience. Not letters, but sensation, which is the way babies, before they learn to talk, the way they think. They think images or sounds, or they think sensations because they don't yet have language. So we can, adults generally, thinking in sensations is very primitive. Um, you can't think very, in a very sophisticated way with sensation. Language gives us the ability to think in a more sophisticated way. So adults always think using words or letters or using language. Even if you think with sensation, it's still a type of language. You're thinking of things. All of these, the words, the letters, the ideas, the sensations that go through our thought, the Kabbalah calls them letters of thought, or otiyot hamachshava. When we have a fleeting thought, we generate those letters of thought in our mind. We have a thought, we created those letters. The thought was fleeting. However, Kabbalah tells us, that when you have a thought in your mind, while you may, a second later it disappears, you're no longer conscious of it. It only disappeared from your consciousness. It didn't disappear entirely. It's still there. It doesn't disappear entirely. So it's still there in our minds. Just like the soul never disappears, it's always there, so too the letters with which we think do not just go away. They do not disappear. So everything that you think over your day remains in your mind. It doesn't go anywhere. It's there. You're not conscious of it, but it remains in your mind. Every letter that you think, every word, every idea that you think remains in your mind. What happens at the end of the day? Your mind gets clogged from all of the different things that you thought of during the day. And this is why you... Um, and that's why at the end of the day your mind gets a little clouded because it's clogged with all the different thoughts during the day. What happens when you, and then your mind's not able to function, you're not able to think clearly. What happens when you dream? So what happens is your mind then goes through all those loose thoughts and letters <coughs> um, and you basically defragment everything. Think of the way our hardware stores data in our computer. Um, you get a message on your phone every couple days. You haven't turned off your phone, restarted your phone for X amount of days on your laptop. Please restart it. Um, because what happens? It collects all this data and then it needs to reformat everything. <clears throat> Otherwise, it clogs the system. It, it slows down our operating system. Our brains work very much the same way. You have lots and lots and lots of information in your head of everything that went through your head over the day. It begins to clog your head. You need to organize it, throw out the garbage, keep the good stuff, put it in the right compartments, put it in the right places in your mind, and that way you can store it properly. So every day, at the end of the day when we sleep, Essentially, we're defragmating, organizing all the data in our mind, keeping the valuable data, deleting, cacheting the useless data, getting rid of it. Um, 
And so sometimes we can have things that we put in the recess of our mind, but they're still not fully cleaned or still not fully connected. And then sometimes we can come back to old thoughts from a long time ago, can come resurface in our dream as well. Often they'll be triggered by something that we experienced that day. Um, but sometimes we can therefore resurface old thoughts. And so that's the way Kabbalah explains that is why we dream. And this is why our tradition tells us that dreams are part of our healing process. In fact, the Hebrew word for dream is chalom. The word chalom can also mean to heal. Like in Isaiah it says, vatachlimeni vatechayeni. That so Chalom dream can also be lahachalim to be healed. So dreams, in a sense, heal our soul by defragmenting those broken thoughts and letters and organizing them. And this then allows our soul, once our soul, when our soul is clogged, our soul is not able to ascend to spiritual heights. It's not able to rise. Um, in spiritual realities because it's being bogged down by these useless thoughts. When our soul wants to soar, when our soul soars when we sleep, but until we work through our thoughts, it's trapped by the thoughts that are stuck in our mind. So essentially what dreams are doing is they're cutting through the mesh, cutting through the garbage, and releasing our soul, allowing our soul to rise. Interestingly, this old explanation that goes back to our early Kabbalah is very much in line with one of the leading theories as to why we dream, which is a very similar idea that our brains have pathways between... um, between the data stored in our brain, that's how um, we remember things, where each thing is connected to something else. We create pathways. We, what happens when we dream is there's a lot of information in our brain that we collected over the day, and we're reorganizing the pathways. A very similar kind of idea. So anyway, according to this explanation, we know that dreams are very powerful and very important. If you don't dream, the Talmud says you will go crazy. We actually, studies have shown that. um, An experiment where they stopped people from reaching REM for a long period of time, and most of them ended up up, um, going crazy or having um, mental health problems afterwards. Um, Sorry? Psychotic. Um, So we know that not sleeping can make a person psychotic. Um, The Talmud says the reason is because you fail to dream, you haven't reorganized your brain, your brain gets too clogged. It crashes at a certain point, like your computer. So, but while it's very important and very meaningful, the dream, very important and necessary, the content of the dream, though, based on this explanation, would be meaningless. In other words, it's only telling us our thoughts, working through our thoughts that we had while we were awake. So it's essentially clearing out our mind, but the content of the dream does not have any useful meaning. 
And this is true for most of our dreams most of the time. This is what our dreams are doing, simply cleaning out our minds. The content is not meaningful, it is important, it is necessary, it is releasing our soul, um, it is releasing our minds, cleansing our minds, it's a very important process, but it's not, the content is not meaningful. We do know, however, as we explained earlier, that sometimes the content of dreams can be meaningful. God can appear to people in dreams. Joseph's dreams, people have dreams that tell them things that are actually going to happen. So, we also know that it is possible we can dream of things that we never thought of before. So, clearly, while most of the time our dreams are simply cleansing out our mind, sometimes there is more meaning to the dreams. How does this happen? (coughs) So, Kabbalah explains that there are really two states of mind. There are two states that a person can be in. One is called yosher, or linear. A person can be in a linear state. Or a person can be in a igul, or round state. What is the difference between a yosher state, a linear state or a round state, a circular state. When you're in a linear state, you are going from one thing to the next. You know exactly what is going on. When you are in a circular state, it's just a big circle. You don't know exactly what it is. You have a sense of what it is. You don't know exactly what it is. There's no beginning. There's no end. There's no middle. It's all one. Take, for example, you go to a lecture and you understand everything that was said. You can repeat the lecture verbatim, word for word. You know the first point, the next point, the next point, the final point, exactly what was said at the lecture. You come home and you tell your spouse and you tell your friend exactly what was said. That would be yosher. That would be linear. Then you can come to a lecture. The lecture is very impressive. It was life-changing. It was amazing. What exactly was said? Well, you're not sure exactly how it was said and what was said. The details, you get the general gist of it. But it was absolutely awe-inspiring. That happens too. That is, that is eagle. That is a circular state. You don't have all the details down, but you got the general circle. You got the general picture. Sometimes you could see a painting and come back and describe every single detail in the painting, exactly what it had in very, very great detail. Sometimes you see a painting, it was breathtaking. But what exactly was in the painting I don't know, but it was breathtaking. It was this amazing painting. So, and we have that all. We have both experiences. Our minds generally work with both yosher 
and eagle. We both have experiences where we know exactly what happened, every detail. We have experiences where we were impressed by the um, circle, by the general atmosphere, by the general experience, without the detail. We spend our waking time mostly in a yosher state, mostly in a linear state. We try to analyze, we try to organize. Everything around us has to fit neatly into our box of life, and we try to make everything in our lives make sense. Our experiences, generally, most of the time, we, most people spend most of their time in a yosher state. However, when we sleep, our analytical minds disappear. Our analytical minds stop working. In fact, tests have shown that the um, analytical side of the part of the brain is in the central cortex, and that uh, shuts down essentially when we sleep. So, um, so we spend our um, so when we're sleeping, our analytical side goes away. We are in a in a in an eagle state. We are in a circular state. There is no beginning, no end. That is why Kabbalah tells us we always lie flat when we sleep. Our feet and our hands are the same height. Everything is equal. Our feet and our, our head are the same height. Sorry, everything is equal. And so our experiences in while dreaming are in an eagle state. An eagle state meaning everything is circular. We get experiences, but there's no beginning, no end. They don't necessarily make sense. We don't understand. It just, it's all essentially one. So, um, and interestingly, um, we know that children, in their early days, they, their frontal cortex also is very weak. It only develops later um, in our teens as we get older. Um, the frontal cortex is pretty weak in children, which is why it's hard for them to um, it's hard for them to analyze, but they're very good at experiences. That's why children are able to pick up multiple languages very easily. They can be very creative. But then at the same time, they also make foolish decisions. They're not very good at healthy analysis. That comes as we get older. So this same frontal cortex shuts down when we sleep, not giving us the ability to analyze and evaluate what we're experiencing while we sleep. We're essentially like little children. So that allows us to have all sorts of crazy dreams and see things that makes no sense. That's why creative people often report getting inspiration in dreams um, because that's when our imaginative mind goes wild. That's when our, we're in an eagle state. We're in a state where we're just experiencing but not analyzing. We're in a state where everything is circular, where there's no detail. We're not focused on the detail. Kabbalah tells us because we're in an eagle state, that allows us, that allows the soul to work through all the meaningless information. In a yosher state, in a linear state, it would be very hard to sit and analyze each detail one by one. By one. But when we're in an eagle state, it all works much faster and much easier because we're able to see all the bigger picture of everything that we've thought over our we can now understand why we can sometimes see amazing things in dreams. When we're awake in a yosher state, when we're in a linear state, 
We only experience sensible things. But we miss things that are going on in our soul or things around us that don't make sense. We don't even notice them. Rarely do we have miracle experiences. And um, when we actually, rarely do we have an experience that's out of this world. And most of the time, even if we have such experiences, we don't even notice them. Because we're so used to living in our box that anything that's outside the box, either we try to fit into the box or we don't even notice that it's there. When we dream, though, we have the ability to perceive miracles, to see things happening around us that are outside of our box. We have the ability to sense our souls in ways that we can't sense when we're awake because we're in too much of a yosher state. When we're awake, we're in too much of a linear state. So when we dream, it gives us the ability to cleanse our minds, being in this eagle state in this circular state. It also gives us the ability to see things or be aware of things that don't fit into our little box of life, don't fit into our linear state of life. So now we can see that dreams can be full of both senseless information as well as powerful revelation. Because we are in a circular state, we can experience anything. We can experience useless information generated by our own foolish thoughts or our own thoughts, maybe smart thoughts over the day. We can also see, we can also have, see things that we normally won't see while we're awake. So dreams can have deep meaning and no meaning at the same time. On the one hand, our minds are usually full of garbage or full of meaningless information. Most of our dreams are just working through the waste of everything we thought during the day, cleansing out our minds. But once we've cleansed out our minds, we can experience a higher revelation that comes in dreams. The more focused our minds are during the day, in other words, the less we let our minds wander during the day, the more meaningful then our dreams will be later at night. The more clarity we begin the night with, the more meaning our dreams will have, the less garbage our soul is working through and the, our mind is working through, and the, more, um, and, and the more meaning then we'll be able to notice in that eagle state. So as a result, people can have um, meaningful dreams, though most of the time most of us have meaningless dreams. However, there's a big catch over here. Because we are in an eagle state, because we're in a state where we're getting very general experiences, without knowing the de- or seeing the details, seeing clarity in what we're seeing, we don't have the clarity while dreaming to know whether it's meaningful or not. And so while we can dream all sorts of things, most of the time it's meaningless, Sometimes it's meaningful. We really don't have clarity to even know, is it meaningful or is it not meaningful? So this lack of clarity makes it extremely difficult to know exactly what the message is. In fact, 
Even in a meaningful dream, there can be meaningless parts because it's just a general experience. And it's hard to know exactly which parts are meaningful, which parts are meaningless. Even the meaningful parts, it's hard to know exactly what they mean because we're in an eagle state, we're in a circular state. So it's hard to know what's going on. So what do we do? How do we know if our dreams are true or if our dreams are meaningful? Go to psychoanalyst. So the truth is, the truth is that we ultimately cannot know. We ultimately cannot know. We have no means, no accurate means of our own to measure or analyze Igulim experience, the circular experience. Because the circular experiences just have no, they are experiences without analysis, without detail, without the ability to analyze them. We have no way to really explain, just as when we're awake and we have this feeling and we can't explain it. There's no way to analyze it. Is it legitimate? Is it not legitimate? How do we know it? We're not sure what it is. How can we not really sure what our dreams are about? There's no way to measure or analyze them. There are a few signs, though, to know whether we should be taking a dream more seriously. One is repetition. If we keep seeing a dream repeatedly, then it could be that we keep thinking of the same garbage again and again. Um, but it could, it's likely a sign that there is something in the dream that is relevant. Another is the effect. Dreams that have a very, very strong effect on us, we can't cut it out of our minds, again, likely have more meaning. Another clue to a dream having meaning is a soul. Um, Kabbalah tells us that souls of people that have departed will rarely be found in the wasted part of our minds. You won't meet a person who has died generally in your dream unless there is some meaning to it. Even then, not necessarily. We quoted the Talmud before who said that it's, you can't use that as evidence um, in court if somebody has a dream where their father appeared to them or someone that had passed on appeared to them in a dream. It doesn't work for evidence in court. You never know for sure, but it's more likely that there is meaning to it. Um, so if you see the soul of a loved one that has passed on in a dream, it can be a sign that there is some thing meaning. The same is also if one sees a tzaddik or a righteous, a saintly individual um, appears in a dream, then again, it is more likely than not that there is meaning to it. But once again, <laughs> we never truly know. Even if our dream does have meaning to it, it's important to remember that most of the time the meaning of the dream is not obvious. Based on the information that we received in the state of Igulim, the meaning of the dream can often be obscured, and we don't really know what it means. And so you need someone with a unique power to interpret dreams, or somebody that has the ability to read the Igulim state of mind. Some people, God gives them a unique gift to take an abstract idea 
a circ- in a, of a circular mind and translate it into our practical linear world. Certain individuals in scripture, we have Joseph and Daniel, have that unique power to, in- to interpret dreams. And they do so in scripture. These people are living in the reality of Egulim. They live in a reality where they experience both the circular and the linear simultaneously, and they are able to interpret, be able to translate from the circular into the linear. How do we know if anyone today has that ability? We don't. We don't. There is really no way to know who really has the ability or who is just pretending to have that ability or thinks they have that ability and they may not really. There is really no way to know. So most of us do not have the power to know the meaning of dreams. Most of us cannot understand the world of Igulim, the circular world. Um, We don't have that ability to interpret. We also don't have the ability to positively find somebody who we can be certain can accurately interpret. Even if they say they can, um, we never know. It's hard to know who's real and who's fake. So there's really no way we can know today precisely um, the interpretation of our dreams. But we can still attempt to interpret our dreams imprecisely. And that is why the Talmud tells us, if you made a commitment in a dream, keep it. If you can. If you have a good dream, be inspired by it. If you have a bad dream and you're a little concerned about it, so the Talmud says, go through this process of hatavat chalom to make the dream good. But if you ever want to use it in court... To prove whether you are Jewish or a Kohen or whether money belongs to somebody, forget it. There's no dreams never work as evidence because there is no way to know. So, but Kabbalah tells us even further that our interpretation of dreams is actually part of what gives dreams meaning. Part of what is unique about the igulim state of mind is about the experience without the detail is that it's like a it's like um, a clay that has not yet been molded. It is a experience, but you haven't yet given it shape or form. We really have the power to give our igulim experience, our circular experience, our dreams, shape and form. They are still unmolded. We can interpret the dream giving them shape. And that is really the process. The Talmud says if you have a dream that tells you that something bad is is going to happen, go to three people and there's a whole ceremony that we do um, where they say halom. Uh, um, you have dreamt in Aramaic you have dreamt a good dream and um, where we then give you an explanation a positive spin on your dream and that is because you can then mold your dream in the way that um, in a way that is positive 
So you can take a dream that may appear at first glance negative and make you, uh, make you nervous. And we really have the power to mold our dreams if there is meaning to them and give them... We have the power to mold our dreams and give them a positive interpretation. The Talmud, the, um, in Psalms we say that, so we do just to, um, so it should be clear, most of what we dream is not meaningful. It's very important because it cleanses our minds, but it's not meaningful. Sometimes dreams can be meaningful. We never know precisely what the meaning is, but we should give our dreams, whenever concerned, give it a positive meaning. Never, um, never risk your life on the meaning of a dream, or we won't, we'll never accept it in a court of law because we never know for certain its meaning, but always we can mold our dreams and give it positive meaning. Ultimately, today, we don't have the ability to definitively interpret our dreams, nor do we know anyone who has such an ability. In Psalms, we say, Shir HaMa'alot, B'Shuv HaShem Et Shivat Zion, when God will return the captives of Zion, Hayinu Kecholmim, we would have been like we were dreaming. So, our lives today in exile um, is like a life of dreams. That means we are living in a waking reality Reality today where we are somewhat experiencing um, a dream-like state. Why? Um, we explained that in dreams, that's when unnatural things happen, and that is when unexplainable things happen. Around us, there are always unnatural things happening. There are miracles happening daily all around us. We tend not to notice them. We tend sometimes to get stuck in our mundane life and not pay attention to them. But it's happening all around. All we have to do is break out of our box, break out of our mundane Yosher kind of life, linear life, and we have the ability in our waking life, in our re real reality, to experience today an eagle kind of experience, a circular kind of experience, to be inspired. We live in a society that frowns on inspiration. We live in a society where people ask you, what are you so excited about? What is the big deal? Why are you, and you say, I'm just excited. This is inspiring. It's meaningful for me. What do you enjoy about prayer? It's so powerful to pray. It's the most powerful experience. And people belittle it. And we may not be able to explain the meaning behind the spiritual experience. But we have experiences. Our society around us often tells us to shut down those experiences because you can't explain them. But Kabbalah tells us, no, you live and we can live in a igulin state, 
in an experienced kind of state, in a dreamlike state, which can be very, very meaningful. We can break out of our linear and live in a more eagle, in a more linear kind of state. We have that ability to change and so to live in a dreamlike state even while awake. It may not be healthy to live our entire lives in a dreamlike state. You may get into trouble if you don't think and don't analyze, but we need to also allow ourselves to live a circular experience, to be inspired, to, be, um, to get excited by things, by spiritual things, by meaningful things, even if we can't fully explain exactly what it is. Come to, to try praying, see how you enjoy it, do a mitzvah. Enjoy, learn to enjoy doing a mitzvah, learn to be inspired by it, even if we can't explain the meaning of the inspiration. Or just enjoy studying Torah, enjoy coming to a Torah class and um, be inspired by it. And we should encourage, our, we should do it ourselves. Uh, we're now almost at the end of December. Um, I encourage you, we're going to start next year. We have many, many exciting topics coming up in this um, uh, in this Sunday morning class, next week we're going to be learning about, um, it's going to be Hanukkah, first, day, first eve of Hanukkah, so we'll talk about the mystical meaning of the Hanukkah lights, um, but, uh, and we're going to have the following, we're going to talk about gambling in Judaism, so uh, we have a lot of fascinating topics, I encourage you, we have a nice crowd today, come back every Sunday, not just for the delicious breakfast, but for the inspiration. And as I mentioned last week, I encourage you all to reach out to your friends. You all have friends, acquaintances. If you didn't do it over the past week, do it this week. Um, Reach out to your friends and acquaintances. Invite them to join us and let them um, really 